Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Today we speak with Brendan Cahill, the president and CEO of Exelon, their Mexican silver producer. They have been working on a turnaround for the project in Mexico and have recently also come up with an M&A strategy, which we discussed with them. It involves the option of a silver exploration play in Germany and also a development gold play in the US. We talk with Brendan specifically about how he hopes to turn the fortunes of the company around this year. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Brendan. How are you, sir? Very good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. You're getting all ready for uh, PDAC, are you? Getting, getting girded for it, yeah. Girded. Great, uh, great week and uh, definitely need some mental preparation beforehand. Oh, I know. did it for too many years. I, I am uh, fortunate not to be going, but I, I, I wish you well. I wish you well. A lot of people there. Um, why don't we kick off? Give us a one-minute overview of the company for people new to this, and we'll pick it up from there. Great. So Exxon is Mexico's highest grade silver producer. Uh, we've been in production since 2005 and we've been in Mexico uh, since 1996. Um, really interesting uh, announcement uh, out where we're you know, proposing the acquisition of Otis Gold, which is a, a company that's been active in Idaho for a number of years. And they've got two very interesting uh, gold projects up there. The key one being uh, the Kilgore project, which has a, a, a resource of just under a million ounces. It's a heap leach uh, operation or, or proposition, but with a huge exploration potential. So okay. very excited to talk about that today. We and we will. But I want to I want to start off a bit earlier than that because I need people to get to know you, get to know what you're capable of. Okay, you've been there seven eight years now. What was the plan yeah. when you came in? What did you see, and what were you tasked with doing? Yeah, so I joined in the middle of 2012, and really when I started, the company was in in a turnaround phase. And that's what we were working on for a number of years. But really to go back to the beginning, because it's really important to understand our roots. Um, we got to Platosa around 1995-96. And Peter McGaw, you know, one of the world's great geologists, chief exploration officer at Mag Silver, uh, he brought us the project. He's going through the town of Bermejillo in the, uh, the state of Durango in Mexico. And he saw all these gypsum crystals in the shops. And you can see behind me, there's actually a big gyp gypsum crystal there. Um, which comes from the Potosa mine. Now, knowing that these crystals are really associated with carbon replacement deposits, he staked the ground, uh, rolled it into Exelon, and we made the discovery a couple of years later. So that became the highest grade silver deposit in Mexico. The first resource, uh, 2,700 grams per ton silver, uh, put out in, uh, in 2003 or so. But nobody cared about silver back then because it was you know, after, after Briex and the market was just getting turned around. It was really at the dawn of a new precious metals bull market back then. But Exxon, you know, got the money together, put it into production in 2005, and, you know, started being a producer. <laughs> the trick was that, um, you know, starting a very small mine on a small resource, only 60,000 tons at the time, uh, not everything was done perfectly, right? It's kind of a story in the mining industry, you know, trying to have the capital and the time balancing that against your investors' interests of, of, of getting things moving making it into cash flow. Um, so, you know, hydrogeological testing wasn't perfected. Uh, community engagement wasn't perfected. Labor engagement wasn't perfected. So when I joined, you know, there was a series of these issues that were really coming home to roost. Um, you know, there was some social issues at the time, which we resolved, uh, some labor issues, which we resolved, too much water coming into the mine, 
Um, we resolved that issue in 2017 and, uh, and went from there to very dry mining conditions, a great little operating mine, and, uh, and that's kind of where we are today. Okay, so you used a phrase there, which was, um, you know, it's been a turnaround story up until about a year ago, okay? Um, and yeah, I mean, we've seen this scenario before where companies need to kind of shortcut the, shortcut the process because investor pressure on them, share price pressure on them, okay? And are you saying to me that you were kind of fixing a few problems caused by shortcutting in the process or just natural mining, the difficulty of mining, because mining's tough, right? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it can be interesting, challenging at times. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's really just, you know, dealing with the rock when you get down there, right? right? Dealing with, you know, changes in the jurisdiction that you're in, you know? So you have to really take the time to understand the chronology of why things are where they are. Uh, and then, you know, putting in the, the changes to, uh, to make things better. And the most important part, of course, which I didn't mention was that, you know, of all the turnarounds we did, it was bringing in really an exceptional group of people, you know, upgrading our board, uh, upgrading our management top to bottom. Uh, and that's what really allowed us to address these challenges that we, we, we saw. Um, and certainly, you know, the management before me, we're dealing with a whole other set of challenges. Everybody in mining is always dealing with a turnaround story, right? Whether it's an exploration project, where is the discovery or whether it's time and efficiently or whether you're in production and then it's just a whole host of, uh, you know, day-to-day -day opportunities for improvement. Yeah, so uh, this, this is the bit I find interesting. It's like, you know, sometimes there's, um, even when things are going well, you're, you're, you're in the middle of a turnaround process because the market, market's changed. No, no, no market better demonstrates that than the silver market, which is typically, and uh, not, you know, most notably quite erratic. And if I look at your share price last year, fairly erratic, you know, you've had big highs, big lows, but you kind of ended up sort of where you started off. Um, was that the was that caused by some of these legacy issues that you're talking about, or these 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 ongoing mining issues, or the new team coming together? I mean, what what was the cause of that? Uh, I think it's actually the silver market right now is is quite interesting. Um, you know, particularly over last the last eighteen months or so, uh, when you look at our peer group, you know, as you said, started at A, bounced around, and then ended at A. Um, yeah. You can look at many of uh, even the big companies in the peer group, and they haven't kind of seen that almost stratospheric uh, increases in share prices that uh, many of the gold companies have seen. Um, and when you look at silver over the course of time, that is kind of the way things things go. Right now, we're at a gold-silver ratio of 89, almost 90 to 1. Um, and uh, the, the historical norm is between 55 and 65 to 1. Um, so we're in a very challenging uh, place for silver right now. The other aspect of silver that has been tricky over the past little while is most of us are producing a concentrate. You know, so we're not producing dory. Some of us are, but a significant portion aren't. Um, we're producing lead and zinc along with the silver. Uh, and treatment charges for that lead and zinc, particularly on the zinc side, uh, have increased significantly over the past couple of years. So that's added another economic challenge to, uh, to the business. Um, and something that's affecting the entire peer group. Right, so, let, so let me, this brings us nicely on to the business plan, okay? So Silver Company, you've got assets in Mexico, one which kind of threw me, Germany, and obviously yep. now you're, and we will talk about Otis in a second. Yeah. <laughs> we will talk about Otis in a second, which is, you know, which is obviously gold, and you, so you're looking at different ways to mitigate 
the ongoing risks involved in, in mining and silver mining in particular, obviously. So, and you brought, you, you, you mentioned, you made a point of mentioning this team that you, you're, you're building up. I mean, can you give me a sort of sense of the, the track record of the people involved? I do want to talk about some of the shareholders in a minute, but what have your people, what have you done, which has created value for shareholders in the past? Uh, that's a question my wife has asked me at times as well. Um, so, uh, you know, I came from uh, I came from Davies Ward in Toronto, which was uh, one of the preeminent uh, M&A firms in, in Canada. Mm. Uh, and then I went into mining around 2008 or explorations specifically. Uh, and actually, uh, I started at a company called Plangio Mines, um, which acquired the Detour Lake deposit back in the late 90s. Uh, Ingrid Hibbard uh, was CEO. She just joined the board of uh, Kirkland Lake, actually. And she I won't go through the whole details, but an amazing transaction at the bottom of the market for a million and a half dollars acquiring the Detour Lake deposit. So we spun that into Detour Gold uh, around 2007 uh, and through a series of transactions ended up merging part of Plangio back in with Detour. And the returns that we saw from that, you know, I bought Plangio stock when I was a student, uh, I think off my student loans, and uh, at 10 cents, right? And by 2000, that was probably around 2002, and by 2011, um, it had returned 11,000%. Um, so that, that's kind of where I came from. We went from there, uh, that transaction, to uh, doing a series of acquisitions in Ghana, West Africa, uh, making a number of discoveries and seeing our, our return to shareholders increase further from there as well. Uh, on the rest of board and management, uh, ben Pollinger, our senior VP geology, was at Rocksgold. He was with me at Plangio as well, so saw those returns, mm -hmm. and then went over to Rocksgold high-grade success story in West Africa, bringing, um, you know, exceptional asset, Yaramoko, um, from an inferred resource through to production from 2012 to uh, 2016. Uh, you know, great success story there. Anna Lad Kruger, our CFO, uh, was at Kinross and then was at Trevally um, from the very early days, 50 million market cap, all the way through to the billion dollar deal with Glencore. So I saw huge returns for shareholders there. Beautiful. Um, that's great. I could go on. No, I guess that sounds like you could. So let me stop you. Um, I think that that gives us a flavor. Okay, so there's a real mixture there of finding value in the rocks, the geology. I mean, I like the rocks gold story particularly. I think it's a great business model as well. Um, big, big fan of John. Um, you've also doing it through M&A, which is what yeah. you're doing here. So is that the plan going forward? Do you, you know, is, is the plan to gain or get uh, shareholder value th gains through acquisitions. Is that the plan? Or are you also going to be looking at the rocks? We have a, a really simple vision. It's, it's almost embarrassingly simple. It's uh, just to create wealth, right? That's it. Create wealth. How? And I mean, anybody in business should be looking to do Great. that. Um, Tell me how. It, Tell me how. how. Exactly. So, you know, what we've got uh, in this industry in particular, right? You really have to be involved in the entire growth pipeline mm -hmm. you know because markets change commodities change uh, investor sentiment change changes access to capital changes um, so we have production now uh, with the acquisition of otis gold we have development uh, gold development in particular mm -hmm. uh, and we have a significant exploration portfolio and you know the way this this um this portfolio our entire portfolio or growth pipeline is organized you know, we have immediate leverage to metal prices, silver, lead, and zinc, uh, silver being better than lead and zinc right now. Mm -hmm. We have a gold development project, which has a significantly higher potential value 
than our producing assets. You want to be able to grow into that yet better asset. And then we have a number of expiration properties. And you need a portfolio of expiration properties because expiration is risky, right? Yeah. And trying to make a discovery on one property is, you know, uh, it's like playing high card. No, right. I, I, I get it. We, we, we talk to companies like that all the time. But if, if I may, so let's let's come to the, produ the producing components. Do you think that they are doing enough? It is, are you happy with what's happening in Mexico? Are you happy with what's happening in Germany? Uh, I'm never happy. I'm always, uh, I always want more, right? Like that's, that's the business. It's so what are you doing it. about it? What are you, what's happening? So in, uh, in Mexico, um, as I mentioned before, you know, we had a very wet mine, too much water flow inflow coming into the mine. Um, so we put in a, an interesting engineering solution to solve that problem, drawing the water table down in an underground mine, uh, kind of like treating it like an open pit, creating a cone of depression around the mineralization, drying out the mine entirely. And that was, uh, you know, really sending in the stormtroopers, right? Fix this, you know, take every means to fix this. Um, and then we need to make a change. And right now, over the past six months or nine months or so, we've got the optimizers in there, you know, the, the plastic surgeons. So they're really working on, you know, optimizing the mine, the normal course mining stuff that wasn't possible before. But this yields millions of dollars of cash flow when you push it and, and make sure that you pursue it entirely. Um, we won't talk about uh, Otis uh, and, and Kilgore in terms of like the immediacy, but on the exploration front, we're making great strides. Let's, um, let's, let's, let's stay with Mexico. Let's stay with Mexico, right? So when do these stormtroopers report back to you? What are they going to be able to do in terms of the numbers, the economics around this? What, what's going to change? So um, the stormtroopers have left the building now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, but what they did was they, they took a mine that we were effectively mining underwater, you know, intensive grouting at the face, a very slow, uh, inefficient mining process. And they've allowed normal dry mining conditions to, to continue going forward. Um, so and that job was done very effectively. And it's just part of our ordinary course of operations now. So what's changed? Um, what's changed? So now we have to deal with like the ordinary thing of of getting guys to the face faster and for longer parts of their shift. You know, more efficient use and, and, and safe use of ground support to make sure that we can operate efficiently. Um, two of the challenges that we, we face at Platosa are a high electricity costs. You know, we pay about 12 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, but under Mexican energy reforms, we can go into the private market and get, you know, a lot less than that, about 25% less than that. So that's a, an optimization that we're in the process of doing over the next couple of months. Um, our electricity costs are very high because we're pumping a lot of water. Um, so that's going to result in, a, in an immediate uh, significant savings to OPEX. Okay, like, like, like what? Give, give us some idea of the numbers that you're hope, you, you think you're going to be able to get to. Because people are interested in that. People want to know, are you going to reduce your overheads? Are you going to be more profitable? I mean, tell us, yeah. you know, what can you do? Yeah, so certainly for the past uh, few quarters, we've, uh, we've not been generating profits, uh, not being generating cash flow. Um, but with these optimizations, you know, we're targeting an all in sustaining cost of, of something below uh, $15. That's really the target we want to get to. When? Uh, towards the end of the year, in the second half of the year, uh, basically where we're looking at right now. It's still quite high, isn't it? Um, you know, silver at 18 bucks. Uh, if you look at our peer group, uh, if you have an all in sustaining cost under 15 bucks, you're kind of in that top uh, 20% or so. Wow, that high. That's amazing. Okay. And okay, so you, you think towards this end of the year, you're going to be able to say, we, we, we think we've got 
um, Mexico plateaus are under control now, it's as good as it's going to get. Is that the message? Well, there's, I mean, Platosa, the reality is it's, uh, you know, we want to mine 250 up to 300 tons per day from Platosa. So it's a small mine. Yeah. It's the highest grade mine in, uh, in Mexico. It's one of the highest grade That's silver cool. mines in, in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, production uh, grades are over a kilo per ton silver equivalent. So there's very few things like that out there, um, but it's small. So we need to find more. We need to grow more. And that's both at Platosa and then at Evolucion, which is where our, our mill is, uh, about 200 kilometers to the south. But big uh, exploration package around that. Uh, we've made a new discovery there as well uh, called the Lechuza Zone. So that's something we're going to move towards resource over the course of the year. I uh, need a, a bit more work to kind of set it on that path. But, uh, you know, it's organic growth from that perspective, like identify new deposits and, uh, and, uh, and put them into production. So how much, so money, a, how much money are you going to put to that? I mean, are you going to spend time, effort, money? And if so, how much to kind of... Uh, yeah, so our exploration budget is generally around 4 to $5 million per year uh, within our existing asset. And that doesn't sound like a lot, um, but it's very effectively spent money. Um, you know, what we're trying to do is find new things. Right. So you don't want to, you know, grid drill uh, a greenfields project in the hopes that something might be there. We use a very scientific approach. And the way that we look at uh, exploration is really it's research and development. Right. And it's one of the things that's been lacking in, in the industry for a while. But, you know, for us, it's um, it's it's spend the money wisely, identify the target and then bring your rigs on and start drilling something off. So down at Evolution, we've, we've actually done quite a bit of that over the past year. And we're ready to move that now towards, you know, a defined uh, resource over the course of 2020. Right, and it, I mean, I don't know how much cash. I mean, how much cash are you sitting on at the moment? Um, so as of this transaction, we'll have about 10 million in cash, US. Right. Um, so we're we're in a pretty good position. Okay. Um, and with Platosa, you know, starting to turn around over the next uh, few months, um, we should be generating that, uh, you know, cash sustainable cash flow for the exploration that we want to do within our Mexican portfolio. Right, so um, Platosa will be break even. Is that, that's what you're telling me? Sustainable operation. Sustainable, yeah. okay, sustainable. Okay, cool. And towards the end of the year, moving towards more of a profitability. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Okay, so let's move away from that. Germany, what's happening in Germany? That well-known mining district. <laughs> Actually, you'd be surprised. I, there's, I, there's I, both, tell me. You, there's over 50 underground mining operations in Germany, right? Um, there's a huge amount of coal production in Germany, you know, and uh, we're actually in the state of Saxony, uh, which is in East Germany. It's kind of in the crook between Czech Republic and, and, uh, and, uh, and Poland. And it has a very, very long mining history. So the project that we have, uh, it's called uh, Silver City or the Bronzdorf Exploration License. It's about just northwest of the city of Freiburg. And this area was mined for 800 years, from the 11th century all the way through to just after the Franco-Prussian War. And Germany won the Franco-Prussian War and got a 200 million pound gold settlement from, from the French. And, and really, you know, they dropped the silver standard, went to the gold standard, and history progressed from there. And this was one of the interesting things when I, when I, when I kind of was presented this project back in late 2018 was I was dismissive at first as well. You know, who goes to Germany, right? But I didn't know, but I did the research and I thought about it and then I pitched it to Ben and he said, geologically, like, we have to be here. We have to check this out. 
Um, and, and when you understand that history and then you've got the switch to the gold standard, you've got World War One, you've got the Weimar Republic, the Great Depression, um, you have World War Two, and then you have this becoming part of the USSR effectively or the Soviet Empire, right, which was not focused on the capitalist metals of silver, it was focused on lead and zinc and tin and, and coal. Uh, so that was really what was explored for here, and silver was forgotten about. I, I get the history. I understand the history of, of, of Germany and, and Europe around that time. Today, coal is not in favor in Germany. Uh, it's a very green, liberal country these days. So, you know, how is mining in Germany for you? I mean, do you come across problems, protests, any issues with regulation, law? Well, we've only been there on the project since uh, the fall of 2018, uh, sorry, 2019. Mm. Um, so really, uh, we signed an option agreement on this asset back in September. Mm -hmm. um, but the, uh, the integration with the, uh, with the community and with the institutions there uh, and with the regulators there has been quite, quite impressive. And, um, you know, one of the things is the, the impression of, of mining in Germany and exploration in Germany. Uh, Brussels and, Ber and Germany, Berlin, mm -hmm. uh, actually founded uh, an institute called the Helmholtz Institute there in 2011. And this was, if we go back to 2011, I'm obsessed with history and the chronology of why things are, right? That's why, sorry for going through the whole history of the 20th century, but it is, there you go, right? So it is, it is like so critical that you understand the history hmm. or you miss opportunities, right? You think, well, somebody else would have done this. How is this opportunity mine? Somebody else would have done this. And then you, you reel back the history and you're like, there is a huge opportunity here. Um, so Germany, 2011, if we go back to 2011, silver's at 50 bucks, gold's at 1900 bucks. Uh, you've got rare earth metals absolutely ripping. Uh, you're coming off, you know, nickel highs, copper highs. So Germany recognized that they needed to start controlling strategic metals, which is a very topical, uh, you know, aspect now. Um, rare earths are still an issue in Canada. The Mining Association of Canada is looking at strategic metals review. So Germany recognized this in 2011, created this Helmholtz Institute um, to further exploration, development, production with high technologies in Germany. The great thing is uh, Ben Pollinger, our senior VP geology, his former professor is actually the head of this Helmholtz Institute. There, there's this weird serendipity or synchronicity that, that's kind of happening with us going to this project. That uh, institute is in Freiburg because Freiburg also has uh, one of the oldest mining and metallurgical or universities in the world, the University of Freiburg. So if you go around the world, you come across geologists all the time. I did an exchange there. I went to school there. I've been underground there, you know, in the old workings under the town. So that's the kind of thing that we're drawing on. We've got a high technology institute with from drones to core scan technology to a, a MET lab that they're developing right now. Loads of PhD students who, who've been crawling over this ground, looking at the opportunity for years now, writing their dissertations on it. We get the benefit of all that research. And yet there's been no modern day exploration. There's never been a drill hole for precious metals on this project. So tell me what you've got. So that, that thank you for that. That actually in education, I've learned something that's good. Um, but tell me what you've got. What do you know about what you've got in Germany? So the, um, the concession that we have or the exploration license we have, we call it Silver City, the Silver City property. Mm. And People are like, why Silver City? That's not a German name. But, you know, Freiburg, the nickname for Freiburg is it's Silverstadt, which, forgive my pronunciation, yeah. but Silver City. Yeah. So 
uh, it was a pretty easy branding exercise when I saw Silberstadt, and I'm like, well, there we go, we're we're good. Um, so there is that long history of of mining certainly. Um, but what we have is 164 square kilometers mm -hmm. uh, with 35 kilometers of strike uh, and a number of veins running through that property along this strike and loads of historical underground workings. So our concession was mined for, you know, on and off, uh, well, continuously for almost 800 years. We have all the records of that mining as well, or most of them anyways. Right. So we know where the workings were. Um, we know uh, how deep they went and what they were mining. And some of the grades that they were seeing there, you know, up to 3,500 grams silver, uh, excluding other metals, and there was definitely lead, zinc, and gold as well, and uh, and up to 10 meters widths. So we know where they stopped, and it's a really simple, um, as far as geology and exploration are ever simple, is to, is to know where they stopped, understand where the system is, using all this information that's been generated by one of the top mining universities in the world, uh, and set the rigs down, and start drilling the deeper part of this episode. Okay. Let's talk. Let's talk numbers. Okay. So, um, I'm going to assume that you wanted to mitigate country risk from Mexico into another jurisdiction, and you came across something which you thought was might fit that bill. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna assume no. that. No. No. You thought this no. was uh, headed out of the park. I mean, I had the same impression as you, right? Like Germany. Like how? It, you know, that's that's kind of an asymmetrical assessment of improved country risk right yeah so it was really we were looking around the world for high-grade exploration opportunities that could deliver results very very quickly as far as you can never have that expectation uh, and this this really fit the bill it wasn't until we got over there and did our work and diligence long before signing the option agreement that we, re we realized this was actually a special opportunity uh, you know a regulator that was very much in support of bringing exploration back to Saxony uh, you know, with a huge amount of wealth and talent uh, to support that that kind of reinvigoration of this region. But even to say re reinvigoration is is a little bit of a misnomer because, um, you know, we're not the first guys there. We're not the only guys there. There's loads of uh, exploration down in the south on the Erzberge. Again, forget my pronunciation, but the Ore Mountains, which were mined for hundreds of years through the Middle Ages. Up to the northwest, there's the uh, Kieperschliefen, which I never pronounce properly one of the world's great copper mines and the big coal mines along the north part of Saxony. Okay, so, so over the to get, get so, out silver deposits as well. So get to the bit why you think this is unique in its own right. It sounds like you'd be proud to have this in your own right, but the, that is that is surely the definition of risk mitigation. You, you've got Mexico, you've got another jurisdiction, you've got two assets instead of one. Is that part of the thing? I'm just trying to work out what's going on up here. Why, why are you doing this? Why Otis? What, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Brandon? So, I mean, I guess when you're looking at business, right, you know, risk mitigation, people are like, oh, you're in a different jurisdiction. That's cool. That's good, right? And it's a good jurisdiction, excellent rule of law, and it's actually a very clear permitting process. You know, if you follow the rules, do the right work, you know, it's one step, two step, and, you know, things will happen as you expect. So that's good. But this is about opportunity. You know, this is, you've got risk and you've got opportunity. This is far more on the opportunity side understanding that the risks are, 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 are relatively minimal. Because when we look at the project, you know, 35 kilometers of strike, that would almost cover the entire Fresno belt from Fresno down to Zacatecas. That's about 50 kilometers, this is 35 kilometers. Mm -hmm. So if you put that in there and turn the clocks back 150 years, you know, just after the Spaniards were wrapping up, um, you've got one of the richest chunks 
of the Fresno Silver Belt. In the, you know, it's 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 an absolutely special opportunity, and there's been no exploration since the 1870s for precious metals. Okay, so let's let's talk about some of the numbers then. Okay, because so how much did you pay? So the it's an option agreement over three years. So what's that um, cost you? Five hundred thousand dollars Canadian okay. uh, in three payments over the three years, and one point six million dollars Canadian in shares of Exelon. So two point one million dollar total consideration Canadian. Uh, very reasonable deal for sure. And what are your obligations in terms of what are your other obligations? Financial. Um, so at the end of the at the end of the or the exercise of the option, there's a three percent royalty on precious metals and a two and a half percent royalty on base metals, each of which or we can buy them down collectively for a payment of a million dollars U.S., um, which is uh, so go down to one and two percent uh, precious and one and a half percent base. Um, and then there's an expiration bonus, but relatively, uh, or sorry, a discovery bonus and a resource bonus, uh, relatively small amounts. In terms of work commitments, there's no work commitments under the option agreement. We do negotiate work commitments under the expiration license with the regulator. Hmm. Um, for this year, they're around 500,000 Canadian, next year around 500,000 Canadian and a million Canadian uh, in the third year. Um, so very manageable and certainly with success, uh, we're going to be spending a lot more than that. Well, this so year, we spend around a million dollars on the project. Right. Okay. Over, uh, well, over and above in terms of your allocation of people's time on it or collectively? Uh, so $4 million in uh, Mexico and uh, and a million dollars in, in Germany. Got it. Understood. Sorry, I wasn't clear. The main thing is we've got tons of talent there. So, you know, Ben, uh, he, he can has people in Mexico, Jorge Ortega, our exploration manager down there, uh, really manages the country uh, effectively. Mm. And we're developing a team in uh, in Saxony as well. Okay, well, I'll, I'll be interested to see how that, that develops um, this, this year. Okay, now the bit you want to talk about. Otis, you've done it yesterday. You made the announcement. I've got the press release here. Why'd you do it? It's not silver, it's gold. Yep. Do you know Again, you know, what do you know? You strip it back. What's our job to create wealth, right? So it's when you when you do that, you're not like tied into to ideologies effectively, right? It's really about generating returns for shareholders and and the community and our employees and and the whole kind of continuum of the business. Um. So, and it's really founded on if we were at, you know, if we were in 2013 and gold had tumbled from 1900 down to 1600 in April 2013, going down to 1300 or 1400. This wouldn't be the time to do this kind of deal. You weren't in the right part of the market. So we're very much market focused and, and market trend driven. And I think that's the important part of the industry. There's times to buy, there's times to sell, there's times to hold, there's times to explore, there's times to build, right? right. You know, and didn't put that in the right order, but you know, there is different aspects that need to be done at different parts of the market cycle. Right now, we firmly believe we're back in a precious metals bull market. And that was that wasn't like you know, over the past couple of weeks with the, the horrors that are happening with the coronavirus and everything. This is from May last year when gold moved through 1375 through 1400 yeah. and it was game on, yeah. right? Silver is, is trailing, of course, but gold, it's game on. Um, so that's why we bought this now. But what it does is it increases our, our, our precious metals or our total resource base by 450%. That's just on M&I. Uh, it's more when you include inferred. The inferred goes up by 6,000%. And importantly, it switches our mix of base metals. Uh, sorry, our mix of metals. 
So right now we're 50% silver and 50% base metals. After this transaction, we're over 90% precious metals. Um, so that's a very important switch as well. You know, continuing on, it, it, uh, it completes our growth pipeline. We have production, we had expiration, have expiration, a big portfolio there. Yeah. Now we've got an excellent development project in the middle. Fantastic. So really that, that improvement as long as well as having the torque that you have from expiration. Got it. And that's what- Got it. So, 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 so if, if, I, if I may interrupt, okay. You, you've got the, 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 the blend of your production development and expiration. You've, you've, cha you've changed the mix from you know 50 50 on the, from from base versus precious to you know 90 10 it's great so you, you you're making all the right moves i think the interesting thing that um, you said there was the fact when you started the conversation about gold it was, it was before gold started moving so it suggests some some foresight there so this wealth that you're going to create with otis what's the cost of the wealth that you're going to create so what's it cost you how much are you going to have to spend and how much focus are you going to give it yeah, so, uh, you know, with Otis as well, um, we're adding uh, we're adding their exploration or VP exploration to to the team. Mm -hmm. uh, he lives, you know, in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, great guy, Alan Roberts, uh, trained uh, at uh, at Rangold, so experienced all over the world. Uh, very, uh, you know, obsessed with this project. It's a great project, right? So, you know. The goal is keep on the focus on stabilizing Potosa, start generating cash flow from there. Yep. Um, you know, with with Kilgore, again, the Otis asset right now, it's about doing the studies in support of a, a, another PEA or an updated PEA over the next while, uh, doing the exploration to grow the resource. Uh, right now, the PEA provides for uh, 81 million uh, of capital. Um, for five years of mine life at 110,000 ounces gold a year at an all in sustaining cost of around $830. So very nice project uh, at $1,500 gold, it's a 53% IRR and 185 million NPV at 5%. So okay. very quality project, yeah. but we're not building that quite yet. It's still in the study stage, so it's not yeah. gonna cost a ton of money. What we do wanna do there though, is look at the bigger opportunity. And that fits into our, our exploration and discovery portfolio. There is, um, what we look at Kilgore, it's like a it's like a round mountain analog. So Round Mountain is a mine that uh, Kinross has been operating for years. It's been in production since 1977, has produced 14 million ounces over that period. Um, so an exceptional deposit uh, down in Nevada. Um, mm -hmm. This is a very similar kind of geology. Now Round Mountain at surface, you've got you know half a gram oxide, but as you get to depth, uh, much much higher grades. And here, there's a series of drill holes which really haven't been followed up on. A number of them have actually ended in mineralization. We're talking like 95 meters at 4.2 grams, uh, 30 meters at five grams, you know, a series of these holes. So it's really chasing that round mountain opportunity that fits into our bigger exploration play perfectly. You know, and that's from Platosa looking for a big CRD to Silver, uh, to Silver City looking for a new epithermal district to Evolucion, you know, on the continuation of the Fresno Silver trend. And now this is part of the game as well. But again, on that kind of stuff, it's intelligent exploration. Doing your science from the start, you know, drilling is the last thing you do to prove the theory and then define the asset, right? But we take every single aspect of, of, uh, of geophysics, of geology, of, and I'm getting too far down the, the geological uh, wormhole here. Um, I'm a geologist, not a, a geologist. <laughs> um, but uh, 
So, so, but it is like kind of really painting the whole picture of, of what the opportunity is before you spend the significant capital on drilling and then, you know, grid drilling to the final. Okay, so let's get back to my question, which was how much money are you going to need to spend? Because I think you've got 5 million left. 4 million is going to Mexico, 1 million Germany. You told me you've got 10. You've got 5 million left. Is all that going into Otis or are you going to raise additional money to develop it, develop this wealth that you're talking about? Right, so um, the first is that, you know, as we turn Platosa around, that will start generating cash flow, which will take, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the burden off and cover kind of- But that's towards explosion. the end of the year, isn't it? That's what you said? That's, How do you allocate money now? So, I mean, I think one of the things is, and the reason we're doing these things now, is that it's a different market, right? Um, in this market, people are paying for exploration. You know, if you, if you, if you really look at the money raised since January, 2019, $1.7 billion, something like 70 or 75% of it went into exploration. And, and why? Um, because that's where the greatest returns are. Like we're finally back and it happened, uh, I think in 2018, you could see discoveries and stocks would just fly and go up 10 times, 20 times, right? And in this market, when you look at say a Silvercrest or a Great Bear, you know, incredible returns on the market for incredible assets that have been funded from the market. So if you have the right thesis and the right, uh, you know, focus, that money is there. And that's the difference of the market we're in versus the market we were in, uh, you know, even last year and certainly two or three years ago. Well, I, I think that's the case if you're able to articulate your model. Like if I say Great Bear, great, great example. And there, there are other business models that we've looked at and, and explored and CEOs have been able to articulate it. But, you know, I say 50, 60 percent of, of CEOs go, we're, we're just going to drill holes. So that's that's their thesis, right? Which yeah. I, is maybe the right thing to do, but it's it's hard for investors to then differentiate between companies and see which ones they should target. So I've enjoyed listening to your um, thesis, as, as it were, today. But like I say, so on Otis, your idea is to just t st sit back and evaluate what you've got. You've got a PEA, which is, you know, it, it's the start of a process. So what are you going to be doing this year in terms of, you know, is a PFS on the card this year? Um, so I think the first thing is is improving our studies and understanding of the project, and though that those studies are going to move towards an advanced or improved PEA or PFS ultimately. Now, we haven't closed the acquisition yet, so we're not talking about timeframes yet. That's sure. For, uh, sure. Give us a few, uh, give us a, a month or a few months on that till we put forward timeframes. Put a time frame for the time frame. But okay. you know, the ultimate goal here is from what we have right now, very solid base, great PEA, great NPV and IRR, um, but really growing a resource that supports a 10 year mine life at 100,000 ounces a year. You know, that's something that's very, um, that's very accessible by the market, by analysts and something that you want to build um, as well at the same time, looking for that bigger opportunity, uh, you know, the multi-million ounce deposit. And that's why Agnico is a shareholder. I'm sure we'll talk about shareholders as well. Oh, yeah, we but are. But it is a bigger opportunity that has to be part of the focus as well. So, okay, you, let me, that's a good point you made. So you haven't yet closed it. What's the timing on that? So we announced the transaction yesterday mm -hmm. uh, on uh, February 24th. Um, we will be mailing materials in, in mid-March, uh, uh, mid to late March at the latest, and aiming to close in mid to late April. Okay, you you didn't get much of a market reaction when you made the announcement. I'm, I'm you know I'm just trying to read, read around chat rooms and forums. People don't seem to understand why you're doing it. People don't like change, you know. Um, 
And certainly we've been Mexico's highest grade solar producer for a long time. But you know, our, our stated vision- of But you've got to make wealth, money though, haven't you? you, you can't, it's all well and good right. having high grades, but you're not making money, it's no good to anyone, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key things is looking at the silver space right now. Silver has been trailing gold significantly over the past oof, long time now. Uh, you know, in an 89 to one silver to gold ratio. What we're doing here is buying, um, it, it goes back again to that, you know, multiplying our asset base and moving into precious metals. You know, lead and zinc, um, certainly in the global economy and everything right now, are not the place to be making money. Yeah. Especially when, especially when you've got treatment charges, uh, you know, increasing year over year now. We had incredibly low treatment charges for a period three to five, five years ago. And now they're kind of back to the historical norm, but metal prices are coming down. So you just have that, you know, margin getting crushed. So this is an asset that um, we were buying um, with, you know, producing paper, right, to buy an asset in the ground that we think is, is has great value in it. And one of the things that, you know, when we look at the market now as well, um, the, the junior uh, developers that aren't financed, right, they've just very much underperformed the market. Uh, the finance developers have flown. They're up 63% in 2020. The senior producers have skyrocketed, right? They're, they're up 30, 40% for these big companies. That's a big move. Um, and that's what you would expect to see at this point in the market. When you look at, um, you compare this market to 2002 to 2011, 570% returns over that period. Um, for us, since 2016 to, to now, it's around 48% return. So we're really in the early days of that market. And we're seeing exactly what we would expect to see in the early days of a new bull market, right? The money first uh, starting to go into seniors, the generalist money going into seniors, what we've seen, uh, which I really like, is the money going into explorers for discoveries, mostly it's post-discovery. Um, but if you don't have the development money, it's a little bit tricky uh, to get right now. So this combination increases our size, makes us more uh, financeable from a development and exploration perspective, and, and really kind of completes the story and sets us up to really ride this uh, new bull market. Do those treatment guys make money? Ooh, it's a good gig. <laughs> Just an idea. Just an idea. You can have that. Um, right. You've got you to you build a smelter, though. Right? That's the, just, that's just, the just buy it. Just buy one. Be the trader. The man in the middle is always good, too. I know a guy. I know a guy. Um, okay, let's, let's talk about some of these shareholders. You've got some big names in there. Okay, so Eric Spratt, Agnico. How involved are they? I know they're shareholders. Okay, let's start with the easy one. So Agnico, did they own one of these assets before? Why are they in here? Have they actually put hard, hard cold cash in? Yeah, so Agnico uh, invested $5 million in Otis uh, in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, so, and they did it because they see this opportunity in, uh, in Kilgore. So it's option, so option of, money, right? Not option money. They, it's, this is money to go into the ground to define a three to five million ounce deposit. It's option right? money. That. It's option money for them. It's like, it's like it's nothing. So what, what, why aren't they doing this themselves? Because if you look at the way that Agnico operates, and again, um, this is secondhand knowledge because I'm, I'm coming in and you know we have to develop that relationship with Agnico as a shareholder mm -hmm. and, and hopefully significant backer. But um, they, they, they look at projects that do have that potential. So they do a lot of diligence before they put in money. You know, this is not, uh, this is not you know, high card money. It's not throwing chips on the table. This is extensively researched. We know this asset and we want to put money in. The interesting thing is the guy who did that for Agnico uh, or led the initiative at the time 
uh, Mike Timmons, who is their VP corporate development, mm. you know, he's actually joining the board of the combined company. So okay. when he learned that we were acquiring Otis for Kilgore, he said, oh, I, I got to be involved in this. This is something I, I, I want to, you know, further this idea on that Igneco started a couple of years ago. Okay, so that, that's interesting. Like, and what you like, I, I sort of just there, but when I say it's option money, it's like you're one of 20, 30 companies, they'll throw five million bucks out, okay? So if one of them comes off big, they, they make their money back. So in that sense, it's option money. So at what point do they work out what you've got and whether they come in for the next round of cash or however the relationship works? I think uh, I think like the option money, it's not really about making their money back. It's really about finding things that they can acquire, right? They're looking for new mines, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in North America. That's what I meant, yeah. It is, it's not just a trade, right? It's really, it's research and development in the furtherance of a new invention which they can you know, buy and put into production. Yeah, but you appreciate, we, we talk to company, exploration companies all the time who've got money in from the, the big big players who've spread the cash, spread the love, as I say, uh, in the hope of finding the next you know, global, you know, big big scale project. So, okay, I understand about Agnico. Let's come, let's come to the interesting bit for me, which is Eric Sprott. He's in. When his yeah. name is associated with a project, it usually means the project's going to work. Whether the project's any good or not you know, is, is another matter. So when did he come in and what's he going to do for you? Really, like the trade is going to work, right? He's, his market sense and, and his ability to see opportunity Absolutely. is almost Absolutely. Um, so he came in, he's been a long-term supporter of Exxon since long before I joined the company. And that was originally through Sprott Asset Management, right? Okay. Which is, Sprott Asset Management is still a shareholder. Eric's retired. It's run separately, but he um, he started putting money in personally in April 2016, um, and uh, so he put money in at 45 cents then uh, at three million dollars, uh, three million dollars in a private placement. Then he put another uh, seven million or so in in a public offering in, uh, in July of 2016, mm -hmm. um, and then invested again in 2017 and 2019. Mm -hmm. um, so. He's been a long-term supporter, and you know he's timed the market well in terms of wanting to put money in as well. So, what's his involvement? I mean, does he does he? Do you get that uh, phone call once a month going, "What's going on, Brandon?" No, best, best shareholder you could ever have. Like he really is. Like he he's very very supportive of pretty much every company that he he, uh, he he's in. Yeah. Um, and you know, for us uh, on presenting this Otis deal, he was happy to sign a support agreement. Um, which was obviously a huge, uh, huge benefit to the transaction. Okay, okay. Well, um, great story. I like the model. Um, you're going to be bouncing around PDAC next week. Yeah, <laughs> better, uh, better you than me. Cards filling up. All right. That's oh, that's sure. good news. That's good news. And are people? What's your sense of the market reaction when when uh, the when you put the Otis press release out? Were you getting phone, inbound phone calls? From what, what were they saying? Yeah, it's been a busy day. Um, We've got, uh, you know, I think it's it's a little bit of a difference. The some of our shareholders like, why are you doing this? But when we present it to the market and kind of the funds that are invested in the company, and they're like, this is a great move. You're going, this is the kind of jurisdictional diversification that that actually is is good. We're you know going into Idaho. You've got Integra Resources there, Midas Gold, uh, Liberty Gold, Revival Gold, right? We're we're kind of getting into that that really reemerging uh, gold district. So it is a great jurisdiction to get into, um, and and you know so the the institutional money is now much more interested in Exelon than it was last Friday, right? Because there is a, a much better asset base. 
there's a complete growth pipeline. You can see Platosa moving into uh, gold production over you know the next three to five years. Um, so it is it is a, a much more integrated story from that big money perspective. So what are you hoping the share price does? Because it's, I say it's been fairly erratic for the last 18 months, uh, mainly because it's silver focused. Um, with this gold acquisition, would you hope to see a slightly more steady state or do you think you'll kind of get that appreciation from the marketplace? Uh, I think we are for sure. And one of the important parts of this transaction is it's a really, you know, there's a market strategy to it as well. Um, as at the closing of the transaction, we're going to do a share consolidation mm. um, and we're uh, going to apply to list on the New York Stock Exchange, or sorry, the NYSE American. Yeah, sorry, I meant, to, meant to ask you. I meant to ask you. What, so give, give me, what do you think that's going to do for you, apart from, I guess, open up a new investor base, but how do you think the guys back on, on the TSX are going to feel? <laughs> I'm more concerned about how my shareholders feel than, <laughs> than the stock exchange, but um, different conversation, I think. But what? I mean, I think like, I, the, the the important or you mean the shareholders on I the do TSX. mean the shareholders on the TSX they're going to get you know a lot more money coming into the stock a lot more liquidity on the stock as well um, I think if you look at any of our peer group and that's from say Avino which is in Mexico and has been a long time on the on the NYS on the NYSC uh, America's silver or America's gold and silver now uh, moving there back in 2017 or so um, most recently Metalla Royalties and Equinox Gold. So both of them did this exact strategy. You know, they did a, a five or six to one consolidation, got that $2 US share price, but really over $5, that proved very effective as well. And saw within a month to three months, 20 to 40% returns. And I mean, like the reaction was immediate. Upon announcement of the application, these companies started moving and you can just see the liquidity pick up significantly. So again, it's prepping for this precious metals bull market. We're at the early days now, but as more generalist interest starts filtering down to the the, the, the less senior companies, um, being on that exchange is just going to open up a lot more investor base, a lot more liquidity, and that's for the benefit of all our shareholders, whether it's retail or the biggest funds. Okay, Brennan, thanks very much for telling us that story. Uh, like I said, I, I like the business model. You got a bit of work to do in Mexico, and you know, come back to market and tell them how you know how things are going there. You know. Take, take care of, of what, what's happening at home. And then um, with the exploration and development and Otis obviously sounds exciting times in terms of the, that diversified portfolio approach. Thanks very much. Do stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on, okay? For sure. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.